of our favorite pastimes as a family is, is gathering to read. And we've read some, some really fun books through the years and some really engaging books. And one of my favorite books that we've read together is called um, The Bronze Bow. And it is by um, a woman, an author, who you might better know as the author of The Witch of Blackbird Pond. Um, but she had two Newbery Awards, and one of the books, the other book that she wrote that received the Newbery Award was The Bronze Bow. And it's set in first century Israel or Palestine. And the, the main character, his name is Daniel Bar-Jamin. And um, he, he grows up, he has a very difficult life. Um, his father was basically crucified um, by the Romans when he was a young boy. Um, his younger sister witnessed all of that, and her, she was very um, physically affected by what she saw to the extent that she doesn't speak. And she's, she's just, just this frail, you know, shroud. Um, she's there, but she's not really alive. And he, he carries with him just this intense anger towards the Romans, um, towards this, this army that's living in his homeland. And he is bent on revenge. Um, just hates them. Well, as the story progresses, um, I won't completely spoil it for you if you want to read it, um, but there's this Roman soldier who befriends his sister, and Daniel has no idea. But his sister starts to come to life, and towards the end of the story, he, he recognizes that this, this Roman soldier has his own story. He has his own sorrows that he carries, and that he's in need of Jesus's touch just as much as Daniel is in need of Jesus's touch. His sister's in need of Jesus's touch. Um, it's just, just a really cool story, but it, it takes us into kind of the mindset of what it must have been like to live in a time and a place when the Roman army occupied a country and what it must have been like for the Jews living in first century Israel. We've been in Acts, and this morning we're in Acts chapter 10, and we start with the story of Cornelius. Cornelius is, is not a Jew. He's not necessarily a part of the people of God. He's a Roman, and he's not just any Roman. He's a Roman soldier. He's a Roman um, army man. In fact, he's in charge of a hundred men, and he's part of what's known as the Italian regiment, and it tells us in the first part of the chapter of Acts chapter 10 that Cornelius is God-fearing, and not only is he God-fearing, but his family's God-fearing, and he's devout, that he gives generously to those in need, and that he prays to God regularly. Now, keep in mind that Cornelius is not a Jew. Now, he was not necessarily brought up worshiping the God of the Jews, but Cornelius, rec Cornelius recognizes something, and he is a seeker of God. 
He is seeking God. He recognizes that the God of the Israelites is the true God. And he's seeking him. And he's seeking him through his prayers and through his actions. And one of the interesting things in Acts, Acts is, is the second part of Luke. Um, so Luke is the gospel in the New Testament. Luke wrote Luke, and then he wrote Acts. And Luke makes use of, he, he uses a lot of, he has angels, tells the story of angels appearing to different people. So there was an angel that appeared um, to Mary. There was an angel in the beginning of Luke. There was an angel that appeared to Zechariah. And here in Acts chapter 10, there's an angel that comes and appears to Cornelius, this Roman soldier. He's not even a part of the people of God. He's not a Jew. But an angel comes and appears to him, and he says, you know what? God has heard your prayers. He's seen how you live. And... He um, your, it says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. He sa- tells him, he says, now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier. So someone, a soldier he had who was seeking to be a follower of God, um, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So he sent them to this nearby town to collect Peter. Now, as the men near Joppa, it was about a, a day's journey, Peter is getting hungry. His stomach is starting to rumble. And while he's waiting for, for dinner to be prepared, He goes up on the roof of the house, kind of a flat balcony area where he could go up and rest. He goes up and he lies down. And guess what he dreams about? Food. (laughs) He's hungry, right? Have you ever been hungry and uh, dreamt about food? Or maybe, you know, there's something on your mind and you dream about it in some way. Well, he's dreaming about food. You know, and I don't know what kind of food he liked. but the, kind of the odd thing was he, and I want you to think back about Peter. Before he met Jesus, what was Peter? He was a fisherman, you know, and he cast out nets into the lake of Galilee and, and harvested fish, right? He's a fisherman. Well, Peter has this, sees this vision, and he sees kind of this net or sheet, being lowered down. But it's not filled with what he would normally eat. It's not filled with fish. It's filled with four-footed animals, so no fish there, reptiles, right? And, and other, other creatures, birds, other things. Things that were not a part of Peter's regular meals. And a voice says to Peter, get up, kill, and eat. You know, Peter's a fisherman. 
get up, kill, and eat. And Fisher and uh, Peter reacts. He's like, you have got to be out of your mind. I have never eaten anything unclean. Now, that comment sounds kind of weird to us. Unclean. What do you mean unclean? You know, it hasn't been washed. It hasn't, maybe the feathers haven't been plucked. You know, what do you mean by unclean? Well, the, the Jews, and they still do, had certain, you know, dietary regulations. And so for the Jews, there were certain animals, such as pigs and, and reptiles and other things that were deemed unclean. You just d- did not and still do not eat certain animals. And, and Peter, you know, he's horrified. He says, like, surely not. You know, I've never let anything unclean. I've never had bacon. Bacon has never touched my lips. Um, <laughs> you know, I've never eaten anything unclean. And this happens three times. This, this sheet or this net is lowered with these animals. And so Peter's kind of still in this daze. He's, he's tired. He's sleepy. He's hungry. His stomach is rumbling. But he's pondering this. He's thinking about this vision. What, what does this mean? Get the sense that Peter's recognizing something here. He's, he's, I need to pay attention to this. He's seeking to pay attention. Seeking to pay attention to what does this vision mean. And it tells us in, in Acts chapter 10 that as, as he's pondering this, as he's thinking about this, as he's trying to figure out what does this mean, as he's listening to what God might be trying to say to him, because he's recognizing there's something going on here other than just, them. there's just something going on. I'm, I'm just trying to figure it out. The Spirit says to him, Two men are looking for you. Go down and go with them. Now I want you to think about these men that are looking for Peter. They're sent by an official of the occupying army. And I wouldn't be too surprised, but they were probably dressed as Romans, And at least one of them, we know, was a Roman soldier. So he was probably dressed as a Roman soldier. And Peter's supposed to go with them? I mean, I don't know what was going through his mind, but they they came and he he met them. And they told him their story. And he recognizes that they've come from a distance away. I mean, he's, he's going to go with them, but he's not going to be able to make this trip back right away. And so, you know what he does? He invites them in to the place where he's staying. It's not even his house. He's staying with Simon the Tanner. He invites them in. He shows them hospitality. He invites them in, makes them comfortable, makes them welcome, these soldiers, Yeah, people had to give hospitality to soldiers during that time, to Roman soldiers during that time, but it was usually forced. This isn't forced. Peter's inviting them in, a Jew, someone who's not even supposed to be associating with these Roman soldiers who were 
Gentiles. They were the other type of people, people that you didn't associate with if you were a good Jew. But he invites them in. He makes them welcome, probably feeds them, you know, lets them share the roof as a place to sleep. Get up the next morning, he goes with them, and they make their way back to Cornelius, back to Cornelius, the Roman centurion. Well, they get there, and, and Paul goes in, and he's, you know, why did you send for me? So the whole story is, is rehashed again. Cornelius tells the story again of, of this vision. You know, there, there are two visions in this story, aren't there? There's the vision that Cornelius had when an angel appeared to him, and there's the vision that Peter had. God is at work. God is seeking to communicate. And Cornelius listens to God, and Peter listens to God. They both listen to God, and they are both obedient. Cornelius is obedient. He sends the men to go bring Pe- get Peter and bring him back. Peter's obedient. He comes with the men, right? But Peter's still trying to figure all of this out. He's still thinking about that vision. He's a fisherman. You know, and nothing unclean has ever touched his lips. Still trying to figure this out. And Peter's starting to put pieces together. So as he hears the story from Cornelius, he's starting to put pieces together. And it tells us that something special happens. As Peter is with these Gentiles, these people that he's not supposed to associate with, these Romans that he's not supposed to associate with, these people that, according to the Jews, in his upbringing, in what he's associated, what he's learned, they're not a part of the people of God. They're not a part of the people that his crowd, they're not a part of the people he's supposed to be associating with. But Peter says something. He realizes something. And he says this in, in, um, in verse 28. He says this. He says, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. The vision was about food, right? Nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. But the vision wasn't really about food. The vision was about people. And Peter gets it. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. 
he's beginning to understand something. He's beginning to see something that God's heart and God's love is for the Israelites, but that God's heart and God's love goes far beyond the Israelites. God's heart and God's love is for all people. That I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Peter begins to tell the story of his time with Jesus and those other disciples that were with Jesus tells the story of how Jesus was crucified. And yet after he was crucified, Jesus was seen. Not by everyone, Peter tells us, but by some. By those, he says, who ate and drank with him. By his closest friends by the disciples, those people who had known him and traveled with him and been with him for the three years that he was in ministry on this earth. And they saw him after his resurrection, after his crucifixion, after God raised him from the dead. It says, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he goes on and he tells them, he says, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is God. So he goes on and he says, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You know what? This love that God has for all people, not just for the Jews, this is not a new thing. If you dig into the prophets, our prophets, the Jewish prophets, he tells them, the Jewish, the prophets testify to this all throughout scripture. God's love. For all people. And it says that in, in, in verse 44, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. If you look in Acts, baptism and the receiving of the Holy Spirit go together. But before this, baptism, water baptism, came first. So people were baptized with water, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But God's doing something here. God's saying something. And God baptizes, baptizes these Gentiles, these Romans, this Roman household who has been seeking him 
he baptizes them with the Holy Spirit before they're ever baptized with water. So Peter says this. He says, surely, in verse 47, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Surely we aren't supposed to stand in God's way here. God is doing something. God is working in these people's lives. And who are we to stand in their way and to keep them from being baptized with water? Who are we to stand in God's way and in the way of what God is doing? So I want to leave us with three questions today. Here's the first one. Who are we discounting that God regards as clean? And I put clean in quotes. uh, Because we're thinking about this in terms of this story. You know, not in terms of soap and water. But, you know, there were certain people in, in, in Peter's world that he had probably grown up discounting. Because he was a Jew. Are there people in our world that we've grown up discounting? Because maybe they look different than us. They have a different background than us. They're just, we're just unfamiliar with them. Whatever the case might be. Who are we discounting? that God regards as clean. God's love, God's desire is for all people. All right? So just think about that for a minute. Who are we discounting? Who am I, who are you discounting that God regards as clean? Here's the second question. What if God desires to pour out the Holy Spirit on the very person or a group of people that we have dismissed. I'm going to say that again. What if God desires to pour out the Holy Spirit on the very person or group of people that we have dismissed? Last week, we looked at Saul. You know, Saul was a a Jew, but he was a persecutor of Christians. He's kind of like Osama bin Laden, and that he he was going after Christians, hardcore, breathing out murderous threats towards Christians. And Jesus met him on the road to Damascus as he was going to drag men and women off to prison. Jesus met him, and Jesus changed him, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he became Jesus' agent, Jesus' witness. Jesus worked through Paul in amazing ways. What if God desires to pour out the Holy Spirit on the very person or group of people that we have dismissed. 
what if he wants them to be his agents, just as he has called us to be his agents? And then here's the third question. How might the Holy Spirit be inviting us to show hospitality, or here's the kicker, or even receive hospitality? It's one thing to invite people in. It's something else to receive. How might the Holy Spirit be inviting us to show hospitality or receive hospitality from the people that we have previously dismissed so that they might be filled with the Holy Spirit and experience his salvation. Peter showed these Romans hospitality, right? But he also received their hospitality. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They became Jesus' agents. 